Welcome to the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Welcome down to Security Rabbit Hole. This is Raf, as always, hanging out on the mic with you with another weekly dose of the podcast. Uh, as always, I've got my cohort and partner in crime, James Jardine, over there. James, how you doing, Raph? I'm trying to I'm trying to stay warm. I got some cold snap flipping through the south here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the uh, weather forecast next couple nights in like the upper 20s. I've got plants that are going to freeze, but uh, hey, look the good, look at it this way. At least you're not in Boston. Well, this is true, but I mean, that's any day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and we just lost in our entire Northeast audience. Thanks, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Send your hate mail to at Jardine Software on Twitter. <laughs> oh, boy. What a way to start it off. All right, folks. Well, um, I mean, look, that is funny, though. I mean, I, I did grow up two hours outside of Boston, so... Uh, you know, at least I, I'm not somebody of a complete outsider saying something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll and they are the sports works. teams I root for still. So, you know, I love Boston. All right. Well, <laughs> there's James trying to redeem himself. Excellent. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, as some of you guys may know, I have uh, recently changed jobs. Uh, and with that, I'm always interested to uh, meet sort of the, the and, and introduce you guys to the new leadership that I, I get to go join and why I joined and all that fun stuff. So on that note, uh, as of Monday, I'm, I'm down at uh, Armor out, uh, out in Dallas, or actually technically Richardson, uh, in beautiful you know, great state of Texas. Uh, so you can find me in the Dallas area a couple times a week, uh, just about every week. But I figured the best way to get to know the company is to drag a CEO uh, onto the uh, podcast and just ask him random questions. So on that note, Chris Drake, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, and welcome to Armor. I appreciate it. Uh, it was uh, it was an eventful week. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, man. It's like uh, some people say, you know, your first day is like drinking from a fire hose. I felt like I stood underneath Niagara Falls and try to try to get my gulp there, but uh, it's it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Well, we, we, we're glad we have you on board and uh, thanks for having me to kind of share our story. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's do the you know how you got here. Um, so. Uh, give me a little background on you, because uh, I don't know how many people know your sort of very, very rich history. <laughs> happy to happy to share. Well, some if I go really far back, I'm a third generation paratrooper. So my dad was 101st Airborne Division, uh, a medic, and uh, my grandfather was in Pearl Harbor during the attack. Actually, Schofield Barracks, if you're familiar with the attack at Pearl Harbor. So what choice did I have to? have than to jump out of an airplane. So I joined the 82nd Airborne Division, jumped out of airplanes, called in artillery fire, and uh, that's how I got my start. While in the Army, I 
started doing bulletin board systems and started building some of the first BBS for the military. And then AOL started shipping those damn CD-ROMs and kind of the internet as consumers know it was created. So. Yeah. I think everybody I think everybody had like a stack of those. And if you turn them into coasters and some – like my first apartment right. literally had coasters. <laughs> That's what you did. <laughs> Oh, but those yeah, you got a CD-ROM for like twenty hours of internet. It was it was billed by the it was, it was by the hour, which was awesome. Who knew that? Uh, so who knew that was the you know forecast of the future for the cloud? But uh, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep. uh, before you get too far, I appreciate the service, man. I mean, we, uh, we 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 always have uh, always have a great amount of respect for people that serve serve God and country. So uh, thanks for thanks for doing that. And uh, man, third generation. That's uh, dude. I can't even think of. I, I can't even do like the, the fake skydiving thing at the uh, at those jump places. I can't even imagine standing out and jumping out of an airplane. Well, it's totally different. So you know, skydiving is you land, you know, like a feather on the ground. Uh, being a para- paratrooper, you're strapped with 70, 80 pounds of equipment, your weapon, and you get dropped at between you know about 1500 feet off the air and you're you're dropping at a rate of descent in about 35 feet per second so you you land on the ground like a you know bag of bleep right and uh, <laughs> uh and it, it's not pretty so guys are breaking knees and ankles all the time and and you don't want to be drifting around in the air while people shoot at you, you well, land as fast as yeah i was gonna say i've seen those vi- i've seen those video games those don't those those are only fun for the people shooting Yikes. exactly all right. Yep. Well, that that's awesome. I mean, so did did, did you ever uh, did you ever break anything major? <laughs> yeah, I actually hurt my knee, and that's how I got started in the uh, started doing BBS and web development. As I hurt my knee, and I was in the hospital, Womack Hospital, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and uh, that's how I got involved in doing BBS. And then I started when AOL started shipping those CD-ROMs. That's when I dug my teeth into HTML, started programming in Netscape Navigator. If you remember, actually programming. In, I do. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, Started doing the first websites for the military, and uh, my dad was actually a director at a, at a famous company called Enron in Houston. Ooh, and, uh, he was going yeah. so well until he just did. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, he was a he was a director, and you know, unfortunately, lost his retirement doing so. But uh, uh, that's a whole other podcast, I imagine. But um, anyway, Enron launched their first website, and it was four pages of the cheesiest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I asked how much they paid for that site. It was $150,000. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> if I was thinking $150,000 for a four-page cheesy website, then you know, certainly I could, I could do that. So that's when I got out of the Army once I started my time and went to college at University of North Texas, got my e-marketing degree, started an agency building websites. When you got, hey, Chris, when you got out, was there any like, I mean, there wasn't a computer. Was there like a computer? There was definitely no computer security degree. What kind of computer degrees did we have back then? Because I I don't, I I remember there was like CIS, computer information systems. I think we're probably about the same age. Um, yeah, there's there's a computer science degree, but they were mostly doing Pascal and Fortran and that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, but there was a BCIS degree, which is Business Computer Information Systems, and uh, and that was I was completely on. So looking at the languages that most universities were teaching, uh, that's not what I wanted to learn. I know you know it's kind of already outdated, and so I actually went because I was self-taught programming. I went and got a marketing degree because I wanted to learn what the what the method behind the madness was. Why was I programming what I was programming? What were the what was the consumer or the company wanting to have as an output? And so I actually got a marketing degree and I started just programming on the side and in college and and doing it for a living, uh, you know, all through all through school and started an agency while in college. 
<laughs> so that's awesome. That is, yeah, I know in InfoSec right now on Twitter, people are doing like how I got to security, um, how you got to be the CEO of a uh, of a fairly successful uh, in, uh, cloud security startup and <laughs> by way of starting a marketing company. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And, and the story, the story, the journey continues from there, kind of Forrest Gump style. So I was building some of the really first big environments. I built the first e-commerce platform for Qualcomm, a lot of stuff for Brown Foreman. So Jack Daniels, Canadian Miss, Southern Comfort, Gentleman's Jack, a lot of their dot-coms. The first Verizon.com, you know, uh, so a lot of big first dot-coms. And then in, in 2003, one of our customers, Qualcomm, actually forced me to host their environment because up until that time, I was uh, leveraging IT department servers. And uh, and so Qualcomm's IT department dropped the ball on numerous occasions, and they just said, Qualcomm said, just host it, host it yourself. And so grabbed a server, threw it in a data center, and started charging them for hosting. And then flash forward several years, Butterball Turkey, you may be familiar with their turkey. Uh, the delicious, delicious turkey. turkeys. Yep. And so they're the second largest turkey manufacturer. And if you ever go visit them, you'll know why they call it manufacturing. It's pretty disgusting. But anyway, um, and so they're one of my customers and I had built their uh, front end, their back end, and I was hosting them. And they actually were hacked. Uh, and so uh, they were SQL injected. The website was delivering a borderless pop-up window that was, because it was borderless and pop-up windows back in you know 2007, you know, Internet Explorer was not blocking any of that stuff. Um, it was hosted on a third-party server, and the the hackers actually recreated Butterball's brand. That this pop-up window looked like it was coming from the Butterball website, and it said, "Click here to download a fifty percent off coupon for Thanksgiving." Oh boy! Oh boy! And, and so, they everybody you know people clicked that coupon. It looked legitimate. They, they took that instead of buying a Tyson turkey, they bought a Butterball. They went up to the register, had all their stuff laid out. The 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 register person, the clerk scanned the coupon and it wasn't redeemable. And so enough people had done that where it got the attention of a class action, action attorney. And that class action attorney was able to get 500,000 people to uh, put together a lawsuit. And the average coupon value that they were, you know, uh, not redeemable was around $7. Holy so crap. Yeah, times $7. And so that was the initial lawsuit that came out because of this fake coupon via SQL injection. And we're all scratching our heads thinking, okay, you know, that, that really sucks. Let's get that figured out and solved. But then why were they delivering a fake coupon? Well, the, the original intention was, of course, to, to have a payload and to add, you know, zombies, right? So, uh, and so, you know, as part of increasing the botnet. And, uh, and so once the, we found out that, the class action attorneys figured it out themselves. And so that $7 a piece went up to about $35 a piece because they wanted to pay for one year of antivirus or malware protection. And so I think I was the first one. Our attorney said this, so there's no case law on this. So I was the first one actually part of a class action uh, lawsuit for a cyber attack. Nice. So I'm really proud of, the, of, of that. I've got well done. Well done, sir. For various things. Yeah, yeah. You're very welcome. That's where I, <laughs> I want to start my career. And so uh, – so that scared the hell out of me, right? I mean, getting sued for millions, you know, over 10 million bucks. And, and uh, I was the named party. I was the one who built the environment. I'm the one who was hosting the environment. Oh, jeez. Choke, right? I mean, so uh, so having trying to, protect, you know, protect my livelihood, uh, you know, I part of the one of the lawyers said, you know, Chris, we don't know if you get in trouble for getting hacked, but we, we certainly know if you don't act responsibly from here on out, you can be negligent. So I did everything in my power from standing up a call center, 
to you know ha- helping people remove the software to doing out public service announcement coupon in the coupon section. One of the things that the lawyers uh, you know said is this hosting thing is like less than five percent of your revenue and you're jeopardizing your entire career for this hosting thing. Why don't you outsource it to someone who can properly protect it? And so I hired a security firm, built an RFP, went to all the various, you know, usual suspects that you can imagine, yeah. all the, you know, the yeah. big, the big hosters and clouds that were out there. And, and, uh, half of them didn't know what a SQL injection was in 2007 and half, and half of them couldn't fill out, you know, half of the RFP. And so looking at this lawsuit, I looked at that RFP as a big to-do list and said, right, I guess I got to figure it out. So that's how, uh, the company originally was called Firehost, which was firewall and hosting combined. That's where the name came from and built the world's most secure cloud launched in 2011, a couple of years later. And, uh, because once we figured out for Butterball, we settled out a corp couple million bucks. Only the lawyers got paid, of course. And, uh, and I said, man, if I can do this for a living and protect people like I was in the military, this would be the world's best gig. And so, uh, so since then, we've changed the name of the company to Armor, because now we're protecting those hosting companies that once said that they didn't know how to protect that customer. So now we're partnering with those hosting companies and uh, and actually providing cybersecurity for them. So, you know, if you look back at the Forrest Gump moments, it started with actually getting hurt in the Army while in the hospital playing around with websites and whatnot to then Qualcomm forcing me to host their environment, getting into hosting, and then being a part of this hack, forcing me to really take cybersecurity seriously. And so it kind of wasn't some grand vision to build armor. It was kind of a reaction to a lot of pain. And uh, so that's how the company was founded. It's a pretty interesting story. It sounds a whole lot more fun than it than it was kind of going through that process, as you can imagine. So maybe you, uh, do you, do you like stub your toe or something when you're having a mental block? <laughs> totally, right? Just like, ah, I can't get through this issue. Let me create pain for myself and I'll figure out how to solve it. Well, you've already created pain. You work at InfoSec. This is what we I mean. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> you, know, there's, there, I, you know, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time as an angel investor or whatnot. And I always say, there's two, there's, there, you know, great companies start generally with two kinds of traits. One is they start in an economically depressed environment. And so if you this hack happened in the end of 07, by the time we settled out of court, it was in 2008. You know, I started the company actually officially in 2009. Anybody know what the economy was doing in 2009? Uh, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. So, you know, I think the, you know, if you look at the biggest companies now, a lot of them actually started in the Great Depression. Because you actually have to start with a ton of discipline and have good sound operating principles. And then the second, the second common element for a successful company is you have to start with pain, customer pain, right? It's not about some cool technology and figuring out who was who was to buy it. It's solving customer problems. And so Armor has both of those traits. And unfortunately, that's how the best companies get built is off of either self-inflicted pain or they're trying to solve a customer problem. Well, I, dude, you should do an RSA keynote because I, about 98% of the companies that show up at RSA started with a great engineering idea. So we call those problem, uh, solutions in search of a problem. Um, and, and while you've, you've kind of made it clear that the other way is the, right, the actual way to go, I, I'm not convinced that a lot of our current entrepreneurs get that. James, I'm pretty sure you'd agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of people. I think a lot of people have a lot of good ideas. You know, and they want to go out. They want to build them. It's easy to build ideas now, um, you know, especially programming-wise. We've made it very simple to do that. So, you know, go out, solve some sort of problem. Maybe it's a problem you see, uh, you know, and then try to figure out who else has that problem. You know, it's kind of a backwards way of doing it. And, uh, you know, it may, may not work out in the long run. But obviously, you know, you're better off when you're identifying a problem somebody else has, Um 
you know, to go that route, I think. Yeah, and I didn't know how how often that problem was happening because the Butterball thing, was that happening once a second or once a month? Because if it's once a month, not big customer set out there, right? So I actually launched the company uh, really early, and I went to Black Hat for the, for the first time in 2009. And uh, kind of, I met a guy named Kevin Mitnick. Yep. And so, uh, so Kevin, you know, just had got him and Kapersky both got hacked right before the Black Hat event. That was kind of, you know, the, the popular story then. Yeah. And I went up next. I, I, I stalked him and said, um, hey, guys, you know, or hey, Kevin, I love to protect you. And, you know, I'm, I'm building this product and there's no better way, I think, to, you know, be proud of the product and trust the product than to find somebody that gets hacked often and protect them. You know, if I'm, if I'm building a bulletproof vest, I'm certainly going to put it on first and have somebody shoot at me with the 357 Magnum before I can trust that I can put it on law enforcement and say, you know, this will protect you, right? So, so I, I know I had Mitnick, I had some politicians, we had the Clintons, we had uh, Rush Limbaugh. You know, I went out to all these kind of popular people that were getting attacked. Believe it or not, David Copperfield had just been attacked and brought him in as a customer, and so kind of brought these people that were just you know seeing these these kind of attacks because. Frankly, I wanted to make sure I trusted what we were doing before I went out and sold it. So you not only have solving a customer problem, but you have to test it and you have to make sure you really stand behind it. And I, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to offend your Canadian audience here, but I didn't want to be the, I didn't want to be the, you know, I didn't want to have a product that I felt like we were the Canadian Mounties, right? We're sitting on a shiny horse protecting a national park. You know, I wanted to have, (laughs) you know, we're truly... You know the Israeli Defense Force or the Special Forces or whatever that were in battles all the time. Oh. So, so that's a, that's the second phase. Uh, second phase of entrepreneurs to, is to really battle test. You know your your problem or your your solution. Well, uh, I, clearly we are. This is the episode we're going to try to figure out how many uh, regions we can simply just this remove off of our <laughs> listenership. <laughs> Dear Canada, we apologize, but uh, you are kind of all Mounties that guard national parks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Spoon wow. in the wound. Good job, <laughs> I didn't fix that did I <laughs> no you didn't <laughs> oh man no but seriously I mean look the, the idea that you went you actually sought you sought out we'll just politely refer to, to all that as po- polarizing figures um, that were that were you know constant targets and, it, and you're right if, if you can if you can do a good job protecting their assets and making sure that you're watching their back well then hell <laughs> the rest is going to be easy that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so that's the approach that we have. But the problem that we are dealing with in the security space, and you, you probably see this, you know, talk about it often, is that I look at the security, the cybersecurity market, and I kind of look at it in two lenses. I think about a lot of cybersecurity companies that are more blacksmiths. Mm-hmm. They build swords and shields, and and they tell companies, hey, these swords and shields are going to save you, you know, so uh, buy a lot of them, Right. And, uh, and then I think about the industry as also knights, right? And uh, the problem is that these blacksmiths market like they're the knights. And so you get these companies that buy these swords and shields, they don't know how to operate them. I actually want to uh, do a Monty Python skit around this, right? Can you imagine? In. You're in? Okay, so <laughs> you, you can help art direct this. But you, can you imagine? I mean, I'm just going um, to go off on a tangent here. But imagine a Monty Python scenario where you've got this old town, these great farmers and these great artists and they're doing incredible things and then the attack happens this big black knight comes in and just wrecks shop right 
And so, um, and so now, you know, the black Knight leaves and they're all sitting around with their faces battered and their little huts all burned up. And they're like, what do we do? And then at that moment, you know, kind of a, a you know, a, 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 a horseless carriage pulls in and it's got all these great weapons in the back. And well, you know, wait, wait, hold, on, hold on, hold on, Chris, wait, 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 you, you, you need Chris and his trusted steed, Patsy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're, you're all, you're all over this already. I can already tell. And so, <laughs> You know, the, the villagers say, you know, what is this? And they say, oh, these are weapons. This will protect the village. And so they'll say, I buy, I'll buy all of it, right? So the villagers buy all of it. And, the you know, the, the, the carriage drops all these swords and shields. And you have a picture of the farmer with their helmet on backwards and the, the artist with the, holding the sword upside down, cutting into their hands. And they lay all this stuff out on the ground. And the Black Knight comes back and, you know, you shall not pass, right? And they, classic and then and the you know the black knight's like you think that'll protect you and they're like yes of course it will and so you know the black knight starts walking across he slips on a shield impales himself with the sword and they're all like it worked right and they're all <laughs> celebrating and that's and i know that sounds like a crazy you know little story but that's how the cybersecurity organizations are actually sold this stuff right where you know they're they're told by these weapons you know they don't know how to operationalize and they certainly don't have the uh, have the have the uh, uh, you know abilities to fight, but they buy the stuff thinking it's going to protect them. You know, that, it, that's it's, it's 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 embarrassing, but that's how I feel like the industry's you know well, serving. You, who are who are the knights? Well, you know, you are you're so correct though. That's I mean, okay. So I, I, I was on mute, laughing absolutely hysterically at your at your uh, analogy and your storyboard, but I, I, I want to produce this because this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. But uh, but you're right because we we have you know. Uh, tools uh in the hands very sometimes advanced tools in the hands of people who i don't know they're, they're not this is not what they do right they're they're developers they run businesses they don't even even the security folks james how many times have we said this i am not well versed in every security concept and tool nobody is right but you know you you, you give me a bunch of stuff and in, in the enterprise they are right, here's a bunch of cool stuff you know go go protect yourself from the bad guys and we know how that works so that's interesting. I mean, give, giving it, let it, let the experts do the expert work. And that kind of gets us into the, uh, I guess, where armor is now, right? The security as a service concept. Yeah, exactly. We're the knights, right? So, and what's unique about us, there's other knights out there. Like you have the MSSP market or, or whatnot, you know, the secure works, you know, the optives and, you know, those types. The issue there with the, with those knights is that, is that they will take whatever tool the customer has bought, so, I mean, those guys will freaking, you know, build you a hamburger if you pay them enough, right? So, uh, uh, so the so the issue is is that you may have a swordsman that's sitting at SecureWorks or some other MSSP, and they're given a battle axe by the company because that's what they bought, right? And so, yep. where Armor is different is, you know, we we bring our tools in, we buy them from great blacksmiths. We've also built our own, but it's the tools in which we train every day and we fight. So there, it's our tool set. That uh, that we bring in to protect customers, and that's where that's that's what's unique. So we're not the the blacksmiths out there building and and you know peddling tools for, to organizations to go try to defend themselves with, and we're not the knights that will you know take the organization's tools that they bought, whether good ones or bad ones, and try to figure out how to do it. You know we're the ones who bring our own tool set in with our own training, because with standardization we actually can be experts, uh, and that's the only way I think to to win this battle. And and that gives you, I mean, that gives you scale. That gives you all kinds of really interesting things, right? And that's, um, 
Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, in, in my last gig, I, I can't tell you how many times I actually heard, you know, uh, increasingly more so um, people tell me from, you know, enterprise security leaders tell me that they are, you know, yeah, we've got a bunch of tools. We've got, I'm, I'm struggling to staff and I don't, I don't know that I have the right people in the right roles. And I don't know that I can protect this organization well. And they're like, hey, you know, are there any are there any providers out there that I can just simply say, here's my environment, you protect it, tell me when it gets too much for you guys, so that it, when you need the business context, and so when you need to escalate it to me, but I don't want to hire all that, I don't, I just want to pay, I just want to pay for it when I need it, um, which is consequently why I found you guys, because, you know, th- that's the kind of, that I think that's where tomorrow's going, because whether you're a small shop with, you know, a, a server that you have to run that suddenly needs to be HIPAA and PCI compliant, and uh, you know you're a developer trying to sell a healthcare app, right, to a bunch of hospitals or doctors or something, and you're like, "Hey, I need to do compliance." You're like, "Yeah, there's a th- you know ten thousand uh, you know item checklist, plus you have to do you know these seventeen security things, and plus you have to do advanced IR and blah blah blah." And you're like, "Yeah, I can do none of that." Um, or you're the big shops, like the really really big ones where scale is a problem, right? Having to be hire, train, retain. Uh, staff and talent. It's it, this. It, look, the, the biggest challenge I think you 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 you're gonna have um, to prepare to as it goes things go forward is getting making sure that we we uh, as an organization. I think you've already addressed it though. Is the not the MSS that is you know the traditional MSS, which is your mess for less. Um, you know, like give give me your tired, your weak, your your worn down firewalls and IPSs and antivirus, and we'll do it cheaper. Uh, you know, uh, from somebody that doesn't know anything about it except how to push the buttons. You've actually hired experts, and you're actually building orchestration and IP around um, around actually solving a problem with with you know around IP, not not tools, which is the awesome part. Yeah, and and cloud. So cloud is is a magic word that equals speed in a security person's mind, and this is where it really gets hard for an organization because you know and if you if you're a big bank and you have uh, you know, infrastructure and you have a big security budget, you know, it may take you five, there's a, there's actually a big bank that I met in London that happened to be on the stage of AWS reInvent last year, or in, this year, and uh, and it takes them five days to secure an enterprise environment per server. So they spin up a new server, all those things that they have to add, they have an over $200 million cybersecurity budget, takes them five days to secure a server. They had a two-year initiative because they're moving to a lot of their stuff to AWS, and it takes them 45 minutes to secure an AWS server, and and that's with a two-year, $200 million cybersecurity budget initiative. And so speed becomes the, a, a big issue. Is that you know does your security orchestrate at the speed of cloud? And this is where security organizations' minds are blowing up right now. So that's actually where we're winning a lot of deals because right now it's is your security organization as is it better than our security organization? And that's that. I mean, that's a fight that we win, but we don't want to fight every day. But can your security organization solve your AWS cloud growth and do it within seconds? Uh, and that's that's where we're actually winning the battle. So um, I, I think we're, you know, I can go and I'm not going to go into the sales pitch, but I think cloud really makes security even more complex because speed is the equivalent. We have a, actually a white paper that's available that shows that um, on AWS and other clouds, servers are getting tacked within 90 seconds. Oh, yeah. So 45 minutes, five days just doesn't cut it. Yeah. And so, James, you're you working with a bunch of devs um, on the AppSec side, right? Uh, is, is, that, is that Are they still struggling with that same challenge that, that even at 45 minutes? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think everybody struggles with that challenge. It's trying to figure out, you know, what's the what's the best way to do that. You know, from a dev standpoint, depending on what uh, you know your services provide when you're looking at the the MSPs and all that, you know, it, it definitely changes. You know, I mean, I, you look at what we're doing on the application development side versus what's being done infrastructure wise. You know, I mean kind of two different things going on there. But, you know, what I really find interesting is you talk about, like, the standardization. And, you know, Raph, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about, hey, I'm looking for providers. You know, what are they giving me? You know, there's this baseline that everybody yeah, tries yeah, to yeah, give yeah, you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, then you try to build upon that, and you're, like, picking this and picking that. And, you know, having that ability for somebody to say, "Look, we're going to come in and we're going to we're going to provide our stuff or, or the pieces we've chosen, but we're going to provide them that match what you're actually trying to do. You're not just getting the generalized gamut of tools here." I think makes a big difference, and I think a lot of companies struggle internally. You know, look at all the the job postings that exist out there. That uh, you know, I want somebody that does this, and they name off. Do you have experience with any of these fifty tools? Great, then you're perfect fit for this role. You know, and it's that whole. Oh yeah, you know, you're great with Splunk, but we're going to go put you on this other tool. But because you know Splunk, you can figure that one out, right? And you know, are we experts in the tools that we typically use? And I, I think that was a great point to bring up that you know, so many people are being thrown into tools that. They may not have a lot of experience with, but they're willing to stand up and say, yeah, yeah, I know that tool. And are you getting the benefit out of that tool that you expect? Well, there's a there's a certain advantage to saying, you know, um, if, if I'm going to go drive, you know, if I'm going to go go uh, be a race car driver, right, and I want to be a mercenary, I'll go race for whichever company. Um, you know, I, there's something that says I can drive any kind of transmission, V8, V6, turbo, non-turbo, manual, automatic, whatever, and, and being good at it versus saying, look, I'm a, I'm a V8, you know, manual transmission. This is the kind of car, you know, rear engine or mid engine. This is the kind of car I'm good at. I'm good at this and this type of track. You know, I'm not good on the wet, uh, or in the rain or in the snow, blah, blah, blah. That makes that allows you to focus and be an actual, real, honest to goodness expert versus trying to do everything. Which is where I think like, we had Brandon on a couple times. Uh, Dunlap, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Uh, Brandon's got some ridiculous insights of working with some of these tremendously huge MSSs over his career. But I mean, it, it, look, the we'll do anything uh, and, and we'll do it cheaper is a failure of a model every single time, right? We this is this is not even up for debate. Um, but when you say I've got a stand, this is my standard tool set. It's customizable, but this is what it is. Like I've got an axe, I've got a hammer, I've got a screwdriver, right? And that's what I got. Like if you need me to do something that doesn't, if you need to build a building, it ain't gonna happen. I, I'm gonna be doing you know things with this tool set. But it allows you to be fast. It allows you to, to really be deep experts and build the kind of IP that I think gives tools meaning when it comes to people. So that's kind of it's, it's an interesting approach, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's nothing new. I'm, I'm, this is my military background. We only have you know two handheld weapon systems. You know, three shoulder-mounted rifle systems generally. You know, for the main troop 
formations, two types of vehicles, right? So, you know, you could say it's cost basis, it's not, it's training basis, and it's expertise. I should be able to run up on a, on a situation, and if my weapon fails, grab another weapon or grab a buddy's weapon and, and be able to use it. I mean, so uh, it's, it's, it's the military has been adopting standardization, and I, it's not about cost, it's about effectiveness and training. And so it's kind of the same approach applied to cybersecurity. Yeah. Don't insecurity though. I mean, we. I mean, we have so many startups. We have so many options. How do we get back to that? You know, I just recently did uh, an episode of one of my shows where I talk about, you know, two-factor authentication. And I, you know, I don't know if anybody's noticed recently, but I mean, I've got two-factor. I've got more two-factor authentication apps, and I think I have passwords. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, I mean, it, there's just there's over 200 apps on the iOS App Store. Uh, for authenticators, you know, and it came up because I went to go set up two-factor authentication and it required yet another app. Uh, the current apps I use wouldn't work on that system. You know, so we have so many different options and, and people don't know. How, how do we standardize that and start limiting that down and say, look, we only want these few. We don't want, you know, a hundred different options for this. Or is that bad? Do we want a hundred options because it makes a more competitive market? Yeah, I mean, well, it comes down. I mean, I, I like the competitive market that's out there, but from the organization that's trying to look at tools and how to implement those tools, it has to be a top-down approach, not just within the cybersecurity industry, but how they treat their communications platform. I know a lot of companies that have Slack and River and HipChat and all sorts of stuff, and I would just say it's undisciplined uh, procurement processes, right? At, at the end of the day, you know, and so as an example, Armor, one of our tool sets that just vulnerability management. And uh, so so we were having uh, one of the new feature sets of key vulnerability management player that we have. You know, when a server comes online, we want the ability to do a vulnerability scan immediately and not wait for the you know, vulnerability scan, right? So, that, so what does an organization do? An organization may say, okay, we're going to buy this new tool and now we get this great feature. But they don't have, generally, they don't have the, you know, stamina, all right, to actually say, we are, because we are standardized, we're going to fully replace the previous tool, right? So, uh, and that's what Armour did when we changed out our vulnerability management is that we went back and rewrote our software. We were going to bring the previous one because we knew standardization It is a discipline, and it's something that many organizations don't follow, which is why you go into organizations and you have to them platforms. You know, three anti-malware platforms. You know, yeah. Things. And it's, I think it's top-down discipline. Uh, and it, it's not just stretches across cybersecurity, but the rest of the organization. But cybersecurity, it hurts you more because the the tools are so unique and the people to run manage those tools are, are, are so well-paid. No, right? you're, so, you're absolutely correct there. You're absolutely correct there. Um, you faded out a little bit as you were talking, but I think I think I got what you were saying. But uh, yeah, I mean, look when you when you've got it, it's it's a discipline issue, definitely, because when you've got multiple and I I've, I've witnessed this absolutely firsthand when you've got organizations that you, you go in and you go, hey, what sim do you use? They're like all of them. You're like, great, okay. What about your 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 file integrity monitoring? Yeah, all three of them. Like, all right, uh, what about your endpoint protection? Like EDR? Like, yeah, four of them. Like, all right, how how good are you at any one of those things? The answer is not. Um, 
and then we fall into the trap and I've been in I've been on on the the, the you know the wrong end of this where you fall into the trap of building teams around tools you build your expertise around a particular tool set and when it becomes no longer the best or when it heaven forbid goes away or it, it starts to you know um, starts to starts to diverge from the features that you need you suddenly find yourself on the wrong end of a kind of a problem right and uh, yeah, I, I I totally get where I, I totally get why 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 you did that. That's that's pretty interesting. Well, that's that's uh, hmm, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. So uh, look, um, talk to me a little bit about like where you what where it's all going next. Because now I'm now I'm kind of interested on what what's 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 the future looking like. Yeah. So I mean, everybody wants automated incident response, right? Because at the end of the day. You know, uh, managed detection and response is great, right? So I want the alarm to go off and I want somebody to really smartly tell me and give me context on, you know, what the alarm said, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, um, we are are concerned about a stat that you probably have talked about, which is dwell time. Yep. Right? uh, And so dwell time on industry average, depending on who you talk to, across the enterprise between 90 and 150 days, right? And so- Awful, just, awful is what you're trying to say, awful. Yeah, <laughs> it's obscene, right? And billions are spent trying to knock down dwell time and, and it's not going down at a higher rate. So we know the industry is failing. And so, you know, our mission is, you know, Armour's average dwell time is around one hour, or sorry, one day, and we're trying to get down to one hour. Uh, and to do that, we've got to get rid of the noise. And so- where the industry is going, I'll tell you where we are and where we're, we're heading. But where we are right now is that we have filtering that for every 65 million attacks that come into an environment, one gets through. And we're we're actually transparent that one gets through, right? Some organizations never talk about what their, we call it a strike ratio. It's our own made-up marketing term. But 65 million to one is our ratio. And for that one that gets through, so we got rid of a ton of noise there, we've got to determine whether that's uh, APT or not, right? So we right now we throw engineers or security analysts on that one incident that comes through and we have a dwell time of around one day or less. And so as, as, that, as 65 million turns into 650 million, right? Attacks per day or, you know, billion attacks per day, we're gonna start managing more and more incidents just because the strike ratio is what it is. We're trying to improve it, but it's hard. Yeah, but that's still um, a pretty damn good number, I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're proud of the number, and we challenge anyone to, to you know, we, we, I don't know. I ask CIOs all the time what's theirs, and they don't know, right? They write it down and have to go ask somebody, and they don't know. But uh, but we're at least transparent with that. And so what we want to do is with the advantages of the cloud, and most people think that the cloud's not secure for their own Cold War mentality reasons, but uh, uh, but it, it actually has opportunity to be more secure. Because what we want to do is disrupt the threat actor in their you know kill chain, which you probably have talked about. Uh, but we want to disrupt that that threat actor in the kill chain automatically with with, uh, with cloud orchestration. So you know, re- so if if we get a hit off of a threat actor that comes in through maybe an IPRM hit that's got some decent risk. Right, so they're from a bad known location. Maybe we see something on malware, or maybe something hits on our IDS. 
you know, we can say we think that a threat actor is actually maybe has a session into the environment and we can recreate that entire environment and disrupt it using Terraform or, you know, Kubernetes or, you know, whatever, Puppet Chef or whatever tool that you use. Uh, it recreate that environment, and disrupt the threat actor. And if the threat actor does it over and over and over again, now we know that, you know, most threat actors are trying to find soft targets and they're shaking doorknobs and figuring out what doors open. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't move on, now we know it's an APT, right? So, so we have to automate, we have to automate the, that, that one that got through and see how persistent they are. And then if they're very persistent, now we can afford to put, a, to put eyes on glass, you know, an SSH into the box or wherever and, and look at logs real time to figure out what's going on. And it, it really is hard and it's expensive to have, even at a 65 million to one ratio, which we're really proud of, it's still hard and expensive for us to, to put eyes on glass for that every one, right? And so we're so the next level is leveraging the cloud automation to recreate the environment, to disrupt the threat actor's kill chain, to then figure out the APT to put eyes on glass. And so that's what that's what the armor is getting to. We're not there yet, uh, but uh, but I think as attacks continue to go up, you've got to continue to filter down, get rid of get rid of noise, figure out your APT, and then get the right people with context uh, to look at the threat. That's where we're heading. That's awesome. I mean, look, reducing uh, everybody in security is working on reducing dwell time, and that's if we can manage to do that. Um, that. That's ultimately because I, I think it's unrealistic for every reason that you've mentioned so far that we're going to defend and protect uh, and prevent uh, every attack thrown thrown at us. I mean, I, I kept using this analogy like I've got I've got two kids that are you know four and a half, but by the time they're they're old enough to drive, hopefully you know they'll have every protection that I had plus you know a thousand percent more. Maybe they'll even have self driving cars. And which will do collision avoidance and have algorithms and and you know blah 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 blah, but there is still going to be that that outlier chance. Even if I wrap them in bubble wrap, right, and and don't let them drive and teach them defensive driving and and do all this other stuff, that somebody's going to get in a car intoxicated or or otherwise impaired, uh, make a mis- mental mistake and, and injure them. I mean, there's just there uh, that happens, right? So that's the real life scenario that you can translate then into. Uh, you know the 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 model you're, we're talking about here, and you can do everything possible. And sometimes it's a human error. Like we get a link and you click it because it looks seriously legit. And if you you know if you're the one person listening to the show, it says, "Yeah, I never I never click on links because I'm always that good." Yeah, right. Good luck. Um, you're only you're only lying to yourself. Um, and, and, and <laughs> seriously, and and you know what? And whether it's you know I missed the you missed a patch. You patched. You know, a, a thousand servers you, you, to patch, and you you got nine hundred ninety nine of them, and one of them was off or missing or something, and uh, suddenly that becomes the attack vector, what or, or uh, app vulnerability that was you know uh, accepted as it, whatever that is, it's going to happen. It's the matter is reducing that to well, finding the bad, and getting it out of the system to prevent it from you know reducing the scope of the damage, right, minimizing the impact. Yep. And that's awesome. And re- and reducing the scope of the damage can be, in my opinion, better served in the public cloud. I know this is contrary to a lot of people's opinions because they think public cloud is not secure. But how do you get rid of the patching problem? You recreate your environment every hour, every six hours, every every day with brand new AMIs with the br- latest s- versions of the OS. 
you don't have a patch management problem at that point because you're recreating the environment with with the latest, right? So yeah. you can't yeah. do that in enterprise IT. You can't disrupt the threat actor's workflow by recreating your entire network interfaces and all your IPs and whatnot, right? So that's that's fully available in the public cloud, which is why we're kind of leaning towards that option because we have a dynamic, flexible infrastructure environment. And enterprise IT in the in the way in which it's being done, if I go to your car analogy, is like taking a '57 Chevy that's 6,000 pounds and solid metal with no crumple zones. They're trying to protect that to be able to handle a front end collision. Yeah, right. And exactly. Not possible, right? So you have to you have to be able to recreate with new tech and uh, flexibility. That's where I think. So I'm a contrarian when it comes to public cloud security. I you know. I I talk to the enterprise and say, do you recreate your servers every single day or every single hour based off the latest uh, patch standards or do you have a patch management process that's always seven days behind? Because in public cloud, that's that's possible. Enterprise IT, not so much. Yeah, no, I I totally get it. Well, this has been fun. Hey, James, you got anything to add before we let them go? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, especially some of that last stuff talking about public cloud, I mean, I think this is good stuff for people to hear and start being able to look into to understand because I think there's a lot changing in that space and being able to be up to date on some of those things, uh, you know, is going to be important for people looking to make those decisions, whether you're small organization or the large enterprise, figure out where you're going with your, uh, with your technology. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, Chris, well, this has been fun, man. I, uh, it's gonna be fun working with you and, uh, certainly, uh, thanks for all the insight. And your service, uh, to, like I said, thanks for service to God and country, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. This has been another Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Mr. Chris Drake, CEO and founder of Armor Security out of beautiful Dallas, Texas area. And uh, armor.com, right, Chris? Do you That's have- it. I paid a lot of money for that domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I bet there's people that are looking for chain mail to hit that domain all the time, huh? Paid redirect <laughs> or something. Hey, do you have a Twitter handle? I do. So if uh, I think it's just Chris Drake is my Twitter. Excellent. All right, folks, uh, you know the hashtag uh, DTSR to uh, to get in, involved in the conversation. Uh, if you want to ask Chris questions, we will get him to uh, uh, poke him when you, when, when you put one on that hashtag. And uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. We will catch you on another time, another place, on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Ciao, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T.net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Podcast.